Hey listeners, this is Marcia Epstein and I am happy to say it's a beautiful day. It is kind of a weird thing to say because it is January 29th and it's not very cold in Lawrence, Kansas. That's 2021 for us, I guess. Um, anyway, I am happy as always to get to do a Talk With Me episode. I, it's always a blast. I always learn some things. There's always laughter. There's always intrigue, interest stuff. Um, I will always say buy the books, support the art, shop as local as possible. I think that's super important, especially in this pandemic time. If you happen to be graced with a local independent bookseller in your area, go to them. If you don't have one, you are welcome to go to mine online, Raven Bookstore in Lawrence, Kansas. Um, our local businesses do those great readings and all kinds of ways of supporting the arts that those other people don't do. Um, I know I've seen a, a post from a bookstore in social media with the big sign saying, Jeff Bezos does not salt this sidewalk. Come here, shop. <laughs> and that's not the only thing Amazon doesn't do for your community and your local artists and artists across the country. So this is exciting. This is a really interesting guest today because of the mix of things. We've talked before, but in a very different time in the world than 2021. So I'm excited for lots of parts of this conversation. My guest today is Matt Borzon, who I connected with originally through the fabulous Wolfgang Karstens and his Epic Rights Press. Shout out to Wolf. We love you. We miss you. We need more Epic Rights. We need more Wolfgang. Um, and so, Matt, I could, I could go on and on and on about all kinds of things, and I need to stop. Welcome, and thank you so much for making time to do this today. Sure. Happy to do it. Yeah. Wow. So tell our listeners a little bit here and there, a few teasers about who you are. You're a very um, multi-experienced person, lots of different things that people like. A poet does all of that. Wow. Interesting. Thank you. <laughs> I might be a nice way to say I'm old. <laughs> Had a lot of years to come up with a lot of hobbies, but yeah, I am a uh, I'm a writer. I'm a nurse for a living. I'm a United States Navy sailor, still closing out 19 years of that life. I'm also a musician. I build guitars and I paint pictures. I had a painting degree back in college a thousand years ago. I didn't know that painting too. I mean, I've seen little things that you've posted images of online, but I didn't realize that was a, a like a, you went to school for that too. That's a big deal. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. That was my yeah. first love, still, still one of my favorite loves, but. All right, all right. So I have to ask, just get this out of the way, 2020, 2021, this recent times and you being in the National Guard and all that, what, what has that brought into your life? Um, well, I'm actually in the United States Navy. I'm not in the National Sorry. Uh, so that was the past. I'm sorry. No, no, I, no, no. Hey, no, they're okay. they serve too. God, I love them, but that just doesn't happen to me. No, okay. no I am a part of an emergency medical facility unit, which means what 2020 brought to me was I was in New York City for a few months during the height of the pandemic. They had converted the Javits Center into a makeshift hospital, and I worked in ICU there for a while. And then since being back, I guess I'm like everybody else. I'm trying to stay far away from everybody and still manage to do my job and create stuff. But I have very much a shut-in, I think, like most of America is right now. Staying healthy in that way. Yeah, yeah. Trying. So Navy, medic, what, what kind of nursing do you do in your regular life these days? I take care of adults with developmental disabilities and a lot of mental health stuff. There's a lot of mental health stuff right now, that's for sure. Oh, well, you better know it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you've done a lot of different kinds of nursing because you've also done that in other settings, right, in previous with your military career. Certainly. And yeah. I was a prison nurse, yeah. I've, I've worked a lot of different uh, healthcare settings. Yeah. And and I know from, from checking in with you periodically on Facebook that martial arts another part of you right that you're you have this range of things like it's very cool yeah 
Oh no, that's yeah. I've been practicing martial arts for forty-five of my fifty-five years. So. Wow! And I'm lucky. I'm not one of those people that took it up as a kid and then went back to it. I mean, I walked into a school in 1975 and have been in one ever since. So it is uh, my favorite form of physical activity. Nice. So do you find a way to do that in this isolation, physical distancing time? Yeah, I, I do. I have a, a very small bubble of people that I work with and we sort of, we get together a couple of times a week and, and practice. Yeah. That, I don't know what I would do without that. I would probably lose my mind. Well, it's good that you do it then. Yes. Yes. And writing, like how long has that been a part of your life? Poetry or other kinds of writing? Well, since I was a teenager, probably. Um, but I did kind of fall away from it for a lot of years. And I really kind of came hardcore back to it in about 2015. Uh -huh. But I was still writing songs and other things. I'm always writing a little bit of something. So. Uh -huh. But yeah, the poetry thing started after I got back from, well, not right after, but a few years after I got back from Afghanistan, I was sort of processing that whole part of my life and uh -huh. writing became a really good way for me to uh to sort of put my uh all my ducks in a row I guess mm -hmm. get some of it out of you onto paper trying to yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I what got me started doing this podcast with an emphasis on artists writers and other artists was having the my own my own professional background has been crisis mental health work, disaster mental health work, um, lots of things. And, and I'm a mental health type social worker. Um, and I, I was talking to people who would keep saying this, their art is what saved my life. You know, whether it was somebody who was doing graffiti and murals or somebody who was writing poetry and competing in slams, you know, just all different kinds of writers, people who after retiring from their, their full-time professional career got back to writing poetry rather than the kind of academic writing they were doing. But people kept saying, you know, this saved my life more than anything I've done, this saved my life. And it's like, this is, this is really amazing to me because I hadn't, for a very long time, I hadn't really had the, made the time to get really involved with the art community, even in my own Lawrence, Kansas community, where there's lots of different kinds of art stuff. Um, sadly, probably not the financial support for art that there is in some other communities, but lots of performance, lots of amazingly talented people in all kinds of art. Anyway, so, so you said, you know, Afghanistan got you back to writing that that was something. Yeah, um, yeah. PTSD probably has a big chunk uh -huh. of it as well. I mean, I, I got diagnosed in about 2014. Uh -huh. I was working with a therapist that was trying to get me to open up and talk about it, which I wasn't really doing successfully. And uh -huh. They sort of suggested it. And then it just, that, that became a way for me to get a lot of it out there. Kind of kept rolling from there, you know. Uh -huh, uh -huh. You know? Um, I promised myself every year that I've done writing about the war, and that seems to never happen, <laughs> unfortunately. Well, to me, it makes sense that you wouldn't get done because, in essence, you don't get done with the war or any traumatic experience. That's not we don't get done with those. I mean, I've I've sat with people who say, you know, I came to talk to you because I want to put this behind me, and my answer is it's always going to be in you with you in your heart so it's learning to live with it not not believing that you're going to put it behind you and never experience any mm -hmm. impact of that again that's yeah. not always what people want to hear but that's that's the reality and we can live well even with traumatic experiences yeah my, my doc likes to tell me there's only so well you're ever going to get so <laughs> well that's a little scary <laughs> <laughs> I, I've made peace with it. I mean, that know. may be that may be his shorthand, your duck shorthand, though, for you saying, you know, yeah. like it's because it, it's the truth that we're not going to be the same person you were before. I mean, nobody's going to be the same person they were before traumatic experiences. We're changed. We're not less than, but we're changed. You know, I, I love the image of that Japanese pottery that they say is more beautiful when after it's been broken and then it's come back together, it's repaired and it's even more beautiful than it was when it was originally whole. And I think a lot of us relate to, we've had experiences that shatter us 
and we get to pick up the pieces and there may be some pieces we don't need anymore that's okay um, mm -hmm. and the pieces look different than they did before and that we're we're different but we're not less than so it's yeah it's I, yeah i i would agree i mean but yeah but that's kind of how i got there i mean that's uh -huh. definitely how i i found my way back to writing and then you know it, it just it also just as a as an art form it fits my life really well you could do it in your car uh, in those few moments you have between other things you have to do that's not it wasn't possible with painting um, a lot of people ask me like do you paint anymore almost never because the mess it makes and the time it takes to set up <laughs> and do it and clean up is not conducive to the rest of my life <laughs> okay so when you write do you have a favorite thing that you write with do you do you write on your phone do you write on paper with a certain pen you know do you have do you have a tradition like that I, I carry notebooks. Yeah, I, I make my wife crazy because there's lots of tiny notebooks all over the house. Uh -huh. And I also can't stop buying them. Anytime I walk into a, a store that has them, I will find a small one and just buy it for later. So uh -huh. yeah, I, I like that, but I'll also write on an old bill or a new bill. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have a place that the that these pieces of paper go to? <laughs> Oh boy, these are those moments I wish my wife was here. <laughs> she'll tell you all about how they're everywhere. Let's see, this one that I just had laying next to my computer. So I didn't leave them where I wrote them. <laughs> so you know, uh, so yeah, I, I try. I do try to stuff them into these little uh, notebooks, and I do have a drawer that they end up in. But eventually, I will just get rid of them. I mean, once I've committed them to a file somewhere on a computer, which I save in like nine thousand places of computer, <laughs> um, then I'm not so bad at throwing it away. <laughs> but but you, yours are scattered, which reminds me. I'm sure you know Robert Hansen from Poems for All, and he right. says the poetry, you know, to scatter like seeds. And so it sounds like that's what you do around your house as well. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. That's kind of funny. It's because it's always interesting to me. Like I, I like to write things with a pen on paper, and and all my paper that I use has been used on one side for something else. You know, it's like I don't buy paper to write on it, but I have paper that I that I write on. And and every once in a while, my husband will say, "Well, you know, this person, this sociologist that you really like, she's just got this new tablet thing with a stylus." And she's like, "You could do that." It's like I don't want to do that. I'm just fine with my paper and my pen. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I use all those as steps in my rewriting process. I mean, I like to write it longhand first, and then by the time I actually get it to a shape where I think I could put it on my computer, that's when it'll go through its, like, you know, one of its next rewrites. Uh -huh. And then I always like to look at it again before it gets submitted somewhere. And it uh -huh. the rewrite. So, uh -huh. so I like to start with the paper with the idea that I can always change it then. Uh-huh. Okay. I'm a lazy person. If I type it, I'm probably not going to go back every time. <laughs> well, see, that's interesting because to me, it's like the easiest place to make edits is on the computer in terms mm -hmm. of, you know, if I want to move something around, I can move that whole sentence or paragraph to a different place because I like that better. Um, and, and, and it's harder to make those notes on the paper, but I, but I start things on paper. Yeah, I, I'm afraid if I started that, I might never get done with something <laughs> i don't like to rewrite once i type it <laughs> do you other than that rule that you have for yourself do you have structure like do you have certain part of the day that you write or anything no i, I did before covid i absolutely did I, I i try to write five days a week and of all this is the weirdest process but <laughs> so most mornings i go out and i have up to well right now i'm only dropping off two kids at school actually only one because one going to school here but most of my life I've had four kids to drive to school in the morning mm -hmm. so I usually would get out to my car a, a few minutes before they would get out there and I used to keep my stuff right in my car and I would open it and I would go okay boom you're happening now and I would write I mean and it was sometimes I knew what it was going to be sometimes I didn't I write a lot of, I mean like I think every poet who's willing to admit it we write a lot of crummy poems to find the good ones <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so to me, it was a discipline and it was sort of like, it has to happen before the first kid hits the car. Cause once they get in, they're going to have a thousand things they want to talk about and need. And that's my time with them. Cool. As well. So, yeah, so I, I had this great discipline and now it, it just sort of happens when it happens. I mean, I guess 
and I, and I'm and I have not been writing near as much. I I need to push myself a little harder. That was a great you know just a little discipline. You know I'm uh-huh. going to get so many lines right now, and maybe they'll work. <laughs> you know. Well, I want to step back to what you said that when your kid, you know, whichever number of kids get in the car with you, they want to talk to you. You know, and there are going to be some people who have kids in their life or who think about their being a kid in their adult's life and going, I didn't want to talk to that person. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, that, that's true. I, I'm lucky. My, my kids are all pretty verbal and, uh, and we do have a nice time. So mm-hmm. I don't like to, to shush them when they want to talk to me because you're right. I mean, then they get certainly my son is a freshman in college now, probably about 17. He stopped wanting to talk to me almost entirely. Um, I mean, not like we don't get along. He just, he's 17. He wants to hang out with his friends. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of wanting to talk to you, I just want to invite you to introduce whoever just was barking with, to you, trying to get your attention perhaps. Uh, yes, I have. Well, I have, I have two pit bulls. Uh, nice. That was either Clyde or Iris and probably both of them. They're in my front room wrestling around because I think my son is winding them up. He must have forgotten I was doing this. <laughs> Those are my two dogs. Pitbulls. Okay, so then, then I don't know whether you know this. Hopefully you do. You have something very much in common with Rob Plath, who's another poet who you either do know well or at least somewhat because of the connection with Wolf and Wolfgang Carstens and Epic Rights Press. Rob has been a long-term volunteer with what's called the New York Bully Crew, which is a rescue for pit bulls who've been abused and that they're re-socialized, medically cared for, and then they're, they're adoptable again. And Rob has shared many photos of these beautiful dogs, often with terrible scarring, but loving, beautiful dogs that he walks as his volunteer thing with New York Bully Crew. I have, I have seen them. Um, he and I have not talked a lot about it, but yeah, both of my pits are our rescues. I'm also converted to the breed. I don't intend to have anything but pit bulls going forward. They are, I, I don't I know their reputation, but they are fantastic with children. They are naturally very protective and they depend on how you raise them on are the sweetest things you ever sell. <laughs> and they have those great smiles. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember the t-shirt, but there's a t-shirt that New York Bully Crew used to have that basically said, there are no bad pit bulls, there are only bad owners. <laughs> I would agree with that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so dogs and painting and poetry and music. And so you said the poetry started in teens and really got reinvigorated in 2015 how about music um has that how's that fit in terms of the continuity of your life (laughs) Uh, i've been playing music since i can't even remember not when i'm an identical twin my twin brother is a better well my twin brother is a better a lot of things than me he's a better poet than me he's a better musician but we have been playing music together all of our lives we kind of come from that family tradition of just sitting around and playing and um so I had been doing that forever and you know it's just not going away but it has less of an end game to it music is just for me very much a part of my life I play every day I have in fact I have my little thing I'm playing is sitting right next to me anyway not because I thought I would have it for this thing it just I oh I probably have a musical instrument in every room of my house nice <laughs> and part of that is you make musical instruments right I yes I do yeah I make uh, mostly strings instruments. Uh, lately, I've been playing a, a little two-string cookie tin banjo I made that sounds really great. I <laughs> mean, you know, but I started that, that, that. I started about fifteen years ago. I've only been doing that for a while. Uh-huh. Is that is that banjo the one that you have next to you? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Would you play just a little bit so people can hear what this is? Sure. Let me get a little of what. sound and it's, it's 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 a shame if people would see it it's a very small it's just a really small cookie tin uh and it's just i actually made this out of steaks you would use in your garden is what i made the next one that is very cool 
yeah, you know, it, it suits me. I was that kid that was always playing somebody's uh, garage sale guitar. I never owned, I never had the money to own a nice guitar. Uh-huh. Um, so when I found out it was possible to make your own, I decided just to own it instead of saying, you know, making excuses. I'll just, I only play what I build now. Or what's oh, really? Build. Okay. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. Okay. You only play what you build. Nice. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I, I do have the standard guitar somewhere, but even then they're, they're usually just older and they're nothing special. I mean. Yeah. So how has all this art translated with your kids? Is anybody in the footsteps of doing yeah, all, art? All of them. I think, you know, my, my oldest is a senior at Temple University in dance. She's uh, working on her final project now. My oldest son, now he is studying business, but he is studying the music business. He's at Point Park and he's in a program there that's based on entertainment um and my youngest daughter is also a dancer um and my son my 16 year old son he is very into music and he records and releases his own records everywhere so all all of my kids are creative they all paint they all draw um my oldest daughter when i can get her to let me see it is a wonderful writer but she sort of keeps that very much to herself right now okay so that, that's really cool because sometimes in the households with the parents who are very creative, the, the kids have to rebel. And so they're not going to do any of that stuff. <laughs> oh, well, they, did, they did that to their, to their mom and I. Uh, my wife and I are kind of hardcore athletes and have been our whole life. And none of my kids want to do anything athletic. Well, you I have mean, two I'm dancers, like, though. That's very athletic. That is. And, and I will say my oldest son is... is uh, a pole vaulter out of Point Park. So oh, okay, them. well, they get three then out of four. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but they really, you know, I, I don't know. I always dreamed I would share like my martial arts with them. I no, they all go, no, no, it's not special. Dad does it again. <laughs> really that, that yeah. <laughs> yeah, interesting thing. Interesting thing. So lots of art. And you said, you know, when I asked about music, you were saying you grew up in a family where that's just what people did, you know? That's oh, yeah. really, really nice. And even though you say your twin brother is better than you, is there a is there a competition thing, or is it just like he, you know, we you know we're all comfortable playing together? Uh, music wise, no, we're we're fine. But no, he just he and I, we're different. You know, it's funny as twins think you you think you're going to be kind of the same. But uh, I am very much a minimalist. This is the way I make music, art, and and write. I, I like to strip away everything that doesn't have to be there. So as a musician, kind of why I'm playing this two-string banjo is because I don't need six strings. I can play any song I know on one string, actually. And wow. my brother is a very technically accomplished player because he likes every ornamentation. You know, he, he wants it to be bigger. And that's kind of the way he does things. So so we're not real competitive because we don't want the same things out of it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know? Um, and, and musically, we're better together than we are separate. I just, we just don't get much chance to do it. <laughs> nice. That's nice, though, that you recognize that. That's very nice. Mm-hmm. I like that. Because some families, it's different. I've, and I've noticed, like, I have two brothers who are very musical. And before the pandemic, they, they have a band with some other people. And they all performed a lot. They, one of those brothers has five count them five sons <laughs> and they are all musical and some are incredibly gifted you know some people have to work at it harder some people are just like amazing from the the beginning you know and so I found that interesting that you know there's that difference in natural ability with all kinds of things or maybe it's natural affinity too but you know it's it's nice when it just can be comfortable that you know we all are who we are and we can do some things together and we can do some things differently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Among twins, that hasn't been easy. One of the reasons I didn't write for a lot of years is because my brother did, you know, like try to carve your own, especially uh-huh. if you're trying to carve your own little space to it. Uh-huh. And now uh, we're just, we're finally just as a, you know, as more than middle-aged adults, <laughs> really, really realizing that we don't write that much alike either, you know, mm-hmm. it, you know, I, I think when we were younger, there was a whole lot of competition in anything we did, but, you know, mm-hmm. we're 55 and a half now, so, like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of that left, but no, but I am a big, you know, I'm a huge fan of my brother's writing, he's, he's one of my very favorite writers, I mean, he's great, but, right. but it's very different than what I do. Uh-huh, uh-huh. 
Well, I'm assuming that you've had different life experiences too. And so that's part of where that comes from. Yeah. You know, what I, I think part of what drew me to your work was I have a very dear long-term friend um, named John Musgrave, who's a Vietnam combat veteran. And poetry is one of the things that he does. He's also one of the people who was featured really prominently in Ken Burns' Vietnam series. And, and John, John has always, I mean, the, the reason that we first met was because he was one of those people who was there helping other vets. That's always been his, his passion since his own experiences, you know? So, so, and then writing becomes one of those things, you know, as you know, I, I can't imagine, I'm sure that you have stories from people who are vets who have told you things about your writing, you know, and I'll just let you speak to that. What's that been like for you to have feedback from other veterans who've have been exposed to you in readings, you know, where you're reading your own work and or through your book separately? What, what do they tell you? They, you know, it, it kind of varies. I mean, you, usually the, the nicest one, I, I have a good friend who's deployed, gosh, got to be five or six times to combat areas. I mean, he's, he's had, a, he's actually in some ways had it much rougher than me. And I remember after uh, well, the book I did with Wolf came out, I did a book release and I did a reading and uh, his wife came up to me afterwards and said in the middle, he leaned in and said, you know, Matt is saying everything I feel. And that made me feel good. Like when that happens, because not everybody's going to do it. Like I always would encourage people, hey, find a way, you know, go and get it done. But, you know, he he's not a person who is even going to talk about it much. So like that was, you know, that made me feel good. But it was also good that he had, he's not, a, you know, that he had someone to think someone was relating to him because it's not like he and I ever talk about it. I mean, right. That's okay though. I mean, that's his way is he's not wanting to talk about it, but he knows that you get him, even though he doesn't have to speak that. Yeah. And that's yeah. huge. That's huge. To me, that's like the power of art is it builds connection. It breaks down the isolation. You know, people hear things, see things in art that they experience and then they know I'm not the only one. And maybe even there's nothing wrong with me because that the thought, that feeling, that experience is in my reality. You know, um, it's not weird. It's, it's just how it is. And this person has had the courage that's often the way it comes across the courage to put that on the page and let people know and that's a huge gift yeah i, I mean i hope that that's always part of the uh intention and, I, and i'm also big on you know people sometimes think that like ptsd is since is something only belongs to like veterans or maybe fire no but it can belong to every unfortunately it belongs to everybody which it didn't i mean yeah. but I, I get approached by a lot of people whose PTSD is very not like mine or how or not acquired the way I acquired mm -hmm. mine. Right. But we'll still find things in it that they, you know, that they can absolutely relate to. I mean, I, you know, and I do know we all have the same weird uh, nervous tics and things that we do if you get us all together. That's why I know uh, people that understand this better, like some of my friends that are psychologists, you know, psychiatrists, psychologists, people I've seen over the years you know, we'll say they can spot it a long way away. So, uh -huh. so I do try while I write about my experiences in Afghanistan, I'm really, especially now I used to write very specifically about my experiences. Now I just sort of write about what it's like to live with PTSD. And I think it's a lot more relatable to a lot more people. Because uh -huh. yeah. a lot of them will say to me, well, that I, I do the same thing. Uh, so you want to say, get, get in a group of us and look at everybody's fingers and see how many of us are biting them down to nothing. And, you know. Or that look in somebody's eyes that that thousand mile stare, man, you know, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, it's, I've recently been learning more about a concept called soul injury that um, came out of work with veterans and the reminder that actually the things that have the most impact aren't always the things that somebody else would assume you know, and that, that somebody's story might, and, and one of the stories that's shared in, in some videos about that concept of soul injury is a person who is a veteran, whose father was a veteran, and it was more troublesome throughout this man's life 
the messaging from his father about how basically men do not feel, you just do, you do not feel, and how that layer really informed his life in ways that weren't always positive and made things harder, you know? So it's like, we, we don't know. So, so the idea that you're saying that, you know, maybe some of your poetry that isn't obviously directly um, related to your war experiences is relatable to even more people, you know, that, that, that makes sense. So we need you to share some poetry. You know, I know that, that sort of the, the prompt, I reached out to you because you have a new book, um, which today is a Michigan ghost town. I have not been able to read this book yet. So I'm wondering what you would like to tell us and read to us. Sure, uh, well, let's kind of begin for this. It is nothing like the other stuff that I write. Um, uh, Heath Brocker, the editor that put this together is a real, I mean, a, a wildly creative. He does some, of, in my opinion, the most out of the box thinking as a writer of anyone I knew. And he was the one that first approached me and said, you know, Matt, you have this other thing you do. You have this real simple, direct thing you do that's always here and it's consistent, but then you also write these other things and I kind of want to publish those. I want to publish things that are not specifically about that. So uh -huh. the way I view it is it's sort of the difference between in the art terms, my stuff about the war and my stuff about my life is like shooting a camera. And these are more like trying to paint a picture. So, okay. so these are less uh, specifically, you know, I don't even know how to describe them. I guess I'll read you one. <laughs> okay. okay. And, and I want to emphasize for our listeners. So you're Matt Borzon and you're talking about Heath Brocker, whose press is called Concrete Mist Press. And it's mm -hmm. a relatively new press with some really exciting things coming out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's, he, Keith is a great guy. He does some really interesting stuff. Um, uh -huh. But yeah, so I, let's see. I'll read you the first poem. I read you the, the poem for the title from the book, I guess. It's called Today is a Michigan Ghost Town. Today is a Michigan Ghost Town. It's a duffel bag full of human bones. It's moths drinking tears from the eyes of birds while they sleep. Today is afraid to come forward. It's drunk and horny. It's a tire fire out of control and a coal mine long abandoned. Today is hung over on a park bench. It's reading my mail. It's a rusted out VW bus left in a forest of bare trees and it's turning water into wine in Northwest Pennsylvania. Today is walking a three-legged horse into oncoming traffic. It's fighting dogs in suburban basements. It's paying its taxes on time. It's demanding our attention and robbing our sleep and breaking promises as it wipes the dust off of the moon. So lots of experiences that people can relate to and, and think about what does that mean to me that all of this is part of today because all of that and more is for all of us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's kind of, yeah, I, I think that's kind of the hope anyway. Um, it's a collection, you know, I, I, I found from this book, I come back to certain images over and over again, but I try real hard not to tell anybody specifically what they mean. I guess it's, what do they mean to you? Mm -hmm. It's what do they mean to you even on this particular day? You know, that's the thing about great writing is that there is layer upon layer of meaning depending on determined by our own our own lens from our own experiences to date you know and I was I don't know if you know the work of Mark Statman who's a, a poet and a translator from Spanish into English of other people's work and we he has a relatively new book we were talking about and there was a reference to people with masks and I asked when that poem had been written. It actually had been written years before the COVID pandemic, you know, but it had a new layer of meaning with the way that during the pandemic time, we need this physical distancing and masks. And, you know, and it, it was so interesting to think about, to be reminded that, that, that there's not one meaning. I think that's where, that's where those, some of those bad teachers have killed the joy for us. When we grew up with teachers who like, there's a right or wrong, this is what this poet meant. It's like, no, that's not what that poet meant. That's not the only thing. That may be what it means to you. Great, own it. But don't tell me that's all it means and that you have the only right answer. <laughs> No, I, I, I agree, though, though, if you know, and, and I know you do know my, my other work, um, 
there's no room for interpretation often when I'm writing about the other things that I do. They're, those tend to be much more linear. So I, I yeah. got into this. I was sort of like going, I don't know if this is even poetry when I do what I what I normally do. Uh-huh. So I guess it started with the idea of saying, maybe you're going to try to write a poem like all those poems you read. And I went, I don't always even understand all those poems I read. <laughs> and I went, well, good. Then why don't you free yourself from having to understand what you're writing about too? Like you don't have to know what the narrative is. Why don't you just start seeing what comes out of your head if you access that other side of your brain, you know? Yeah. Um, Which obviously with all the creative endeavors you have with painting and poetry and music, you, you've got both sides of your brain very engaged at different times. So, yeah. 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 And and they don't all translate over. I remember when my first book came out, when they found out I was an artist, they were like, oh, do you want to do the cover? And I had to look at the editor and say, if I could have translated these feelings into art, I wouldn't be writing about them. So no, I have no idea how to <laughs> do the cover for this book. That's fair. That's fair. Different things. And it's kind of nice to have the compliment of somebody else's take on your words as the cover art, you know, whether it's a drawing or photo or painting. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Now, now, I did do the cover of this book, of the new book. Uh, okay. I was, that is a collage that I made, but I didn't make it specifically for the book. It was just a piece of art I had uh-huh. lying around. And, uh, you know, so I am using some of them. I have a, I have a book coming out uh, in the next month or two through another small press that I did the cover to as well. So I'm starting oh. to plan to do a little more of that. So do you want to mention the name and press that's that you're coming out with? Sure. I'm going to be doing something with Kung Fu Treachery Press, which I love the name. That's actually what I'm saying to them. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it, it's, yeah, it's a book of poetry called Saved Rounds. And it is, it really is uh, 2020s war writings, pretty much. I, you know, I, I, I keep, I, you know, I, I keep a folder with all of my poems throughout the year. And uh-huh. uh, as I was closing up 2020, getting into 2021, I, I said, well, let's just pull out the war stuff again and see what that looks like. Cause I, you know, whether I like it or not, it, don't get me wrong. I really do like it. That's where my audience is. Um, if, if you follow the small press and even some of my stuff has gotten much farther than that, even if you, when you look for people that can write about what their war experiences are successfully, I end up in that group. So I know uh-huh. people are interested in them. Uh-huh. And even though I had really thought I wasn't doing that much writing about it, when I got done, I was like, oh, I have a whole book. <laughs> like I have a books link manuscript. Okay. So I threw it all into a file and sent it off to this press to see what they thought. And they jumped on it. So Great. Yeah. And they'll have your cover. And tell the name again, please. Saved Rounds will be the name. Saved? Okay. Okay. And yeah. that just, that resonates with what you said about you being surprised that you had that much in you that had come out during 2020 related to your war experiences. Yeah, yeah ab- absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I got a feeling I can write a book like this every year without trying to. Uh-huh. Um, and as long as they will, I'm, you know, I, I think it makes its contribution to it. I just don't want that to be the only thing that I can write about it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, so, you know, I look for other things to, to be saying too, which is why, you know, but, but I don't want to get all the way away from it either. Cause I think therapeutically, I still need to do it. So, yeah. So, so jumping back, music is also a way that you express yourself. So tell people the name that you're publishing your music under. Oh yes. The Jerusalem mule. That's a, that's a, a Jerusalem mule was a mule that was bred to work in a coal mine. Um, oh. And it's kind of a reference. My grandfather worked in coal mines as a, from the time he was a boy. He left the coal mines as after he almost, you know, he never really got that tall, but he got too tall. So uh-huh. I ran into that somewhere. So yeah, I, it used to be a, uh, a band I was in, it was a two person band that has just sort of devolved into just me. Uh-huh. You playing music that you write? And a lot of traditional old music. I love old okay. mountain music. So I play a lot of, a, a lot of, a whole lot of old music actually. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And you play on the instruments that you create, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So that's that's really special. And that that music is on Bandcamp, am I right? I need to double check. Yes, it's yeah. on Bandcamp. Yeah. So that's cool. Okay, so so you have a variety of ways that you express yourself. Do you feel comfortable reading something from one of your other books just to give people a sense of what that I might be like compared yeah, I to the new that one? That might be uh, valuable. So I thought I would. Yeah, let me uh-huh. just grab one of my older books and sort of show you guys where it started, I guess. Let's see. 
I have find there was one I know I wanted to read. Oh yeah, okay. It's called Leaving Fort Jackson. I was sitting in a South Carolina airport with a commander whose mother lived in Erie, PA, same as me. We were waiting on a plane home for nine days before we left for Afghanistan. She was telling me how this new CO was telling her that none of her sailors were going to be allowed to smoke cigarettes. We're nurses and doctors and corpsmen after all. The commander and laughed and said, Captain's never been outside of Bethesda, Maryland before. So she'll forget all about it as soon as she's up to her tits and blood. All right. Uh, so, yeah, most of what I do is kind of that sort of very specific, very specific, easy to see, easy to know what I mean. Think. And that experience mm -hmm. actually happened 100%. Like, I, I, that, that could easily be called a found poem because that, that is word for word the conversation I had with someone. Uh -huh. Yeah. And that, but that reminder about how out of touch people can be in terms of, yeah, this is what we're going to do. It's like not going to work. You know, no, mm -hmm. no worries. You could, you, we don't even need to argue with you because it's not going to happen. <laughs> and it's, it's also funny to me, like, you know, this is from the first book I ever put out. Uh, but I, I look at it now and I go, it also speaks to the part of me that like, I had, we, we hadn't been there yet. I had no idea. I thought I knew what it was going to be like, oh. or what it was going to feel like doing it. And it could not have been more different the same way that poor commander really thought <laughs> since I'm in charge, let me tell you how it's going to go. You know, when you're in a war zone, the war is in charge. I mean, it doesn't matter who the, you know, you may answer to some person, but they really don't have any power. <laughs> what, what's sort of taken me aback is your sense, I don't know how old you were at that time, but you had the sense that you knew what it was going to be like. And, and I, that, that's like, that's, that's, that just, <laughs> that, that takes my words away. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I again, I thought I knew what it was going to be like. Yeah, that's know? what I mean. Yeah, but, <laughs> but I wonder, I wonder what what that was that you thought that you knew that was that was that like the only way I can cope with this is I have the idea that I have some idea what I'm getting into. You know, I I don't know, but it's like to me, it's <laughs> like there's no way we can know what something that horrific can be yes. how it's going to affect us. Sure. Which is a conversation I've had with people about. You know, when we when we have when we have the opportunity to make choices about what we expose ourselves to, you know that sometimes we need to. And I'm not saying you do in in the military um, for the most part. Um, you have some choices, but they're not going to be the you know anyway. But but I think I guess something I'm thinking of very specifically was one of the things in my many training experiences was um, being part of a training class related to local law enforcement. And they used to do these things called citizens academies. And at the time of this academy, there had been a horrific case of a child's murder. And I knew about it from a variety of ways because the person who was convicted of the murder was also somebody who frequented the crisis mental health service that I was the director of. So I'd talked to him many times, never seen the side of him that could harm a child um, and kill a child brutally. But, but um, so, so I kind of I knew a variety of things about this. And in this academy, they were like, oh, in our next session, we're gonna look at slides and talk about the murder investigation of blah, blah, blah. And after the class ended, I went to talk to the officers who were conducting the class. And I said, here's the thing. Um, people cannot know in advance how they're going to be affected by what you're going to show them. There's a difference between watching a movie that has some really horrific scenes in it and having something that's real life that happened a few blocks from where you live in your home community. And I'm really concerned about the impact of this random set of people who are part of this class. You know, I, I, you know, I, you know from, my, from my work and doing all, you know, crisis mental health, my personal experiences that included different kinds of traumatic experiences. I said, you know, I, I, I feel really uncomfortable about the expectation that everybody's gonna going to look at these slides and talk about this with you all. And they're like, well, we'll give people the choice. They can opt out. And it's like, 
there's kind of a group mentality that you don't just opt out of stuff, you know, that's already developed. That's not going to happen. You know, so they kind of blew me off. The officers pretty much blew me off. It's like, you know, it's like, it's what we're going to do. And I'm like, you know, I, and, and so that, that's, that's sort of resonates for me with that, you know, people, we, do, we don't always know what's going to be happening. Certainly life isn't that predictable, but when we know, sometimes we need to make a choice and say like, at this moment in my life, can I handle this thing? And again, in military situations, you all don't get that choice. No, yeah. no and, and, the, and the military is very good at training you for things. The, the problem is, you know, we, we run mock scenarios. I mean, I, I, I actually kind of have a, t- <laughs> have a tough time with them now. I remember being 2017, I was at uh, Operation Global Medic, they call it. But it was, essentially, we, were, we had built a makeshift hospital in California, and we were running scenarios. And they were saying, it's like we're in Afghanistan. Now, that's hard for me, having been in Afghanistan and doing what I did. And I'm watching all these people do it. And then they're all saying, yeah, I really feel like I know how this will be now. If this were to happen to us, I'm really. And that is what you're preparing them for. And then there's a part of me watching it going, and I know how much you will not be prepared for other things that are going on. Yeah, yeah there's no way. There's no way you can be prepared for that level. Yeah. yeah. No, no, I mean, the training on the one hand for what we do functionally is incredibly valuable. I think yeah. that's really, you know, you have to know how to land, particularly in that situation. You know, we had, we had less than one day turnover when I was there. You walked in and they said, okay, good, this is yours. Mm-hmm. So it's good that they train you on what equipment you're going to use and where it goes and what the flow is like yeah. and things. But they, nobody will tell you, you know, the, the other pieces that are of it. I, I, I certainly remember them running some scenario. They were all happy at how quickly they were able to move this person through. And all I could think of is you have no idea how much slower you're going to go when they're covered in blood and they're really slippery. Like, this is, this is going to change entirely. Yeah. But, you know, you don't tell them that. I mean, or at least I didn't. I didn't feel like that was the appropriate answer. I just watched yeah. it. Yeah. So I, I think that was it. I, I think I was clinging to, I had had a lot of training. I thought I knew what it was going to be like. I thought I had been more than adequately prepared. And I was for a lot of things that I actually did, mm-hmm. but I was not at all prepared. They don't do anything to prepare for what you will actually feel. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in some sense, nobody, there's nothing. Even we took, like, look at a, had a really wonderful experience. You know, you've mentioned you have children in your life. And so, you know, nobody, nobody could have explained to you what it would be like the first moment that you saw your newborn child or, you know, the variety of things that, that happen in real life with our kids when we're parents. You know, nobody, nobody can, there are things that we just can't know until you experience them. And they aren't exactly the same for everybody. So, you know, people can tell you a little bit about what it was like for them, but it's, it's nothing like, you know, living it. And so there we go. So more of your poetry, please. I'm sorry, people are like, why are they talking? Why is she bringing up this trauma stuff? Just, I want to hear this guy's words. <laughs> well, uh, let me see. I got lots of stuff here. I can yeah. Maybe I'll bounce around a little. Let me write. Okay. A couple of my things that I'm doing. Let's see. Oh, here. I'll write something that's not about where I uh, I put out a book of stuff from being a uh, from being a prison nurse actually, <laughs> and uh, I wrote a great book. I wrote a book that I was really happy with. So I'll read one of those real quick. Um, yeah. These are just they all just have numbers. They were called the prison nurse poems. So Analog submission press put it out. This is just called Prison Nurse Number Three. Someone should have noticed that he gave all of his stuff away and seemed happy for the first time in months. They said in the paper that the inmate hung himself without warning and the administration said everyone was caught completely off guard. That strikes deep for me because that's my area working with suicide risk and suicide bereavement amongst some other things. And yeah. Oh yeah. Um, Well, that, that was from an experience from when I was there because some of us were trying to tell them something was wrong. I mean, it was, yeah. that was a tough one for me because yeah. as a nurse, you try to tell a guard something's wrong and sometimes they hear you, sometimes they don't. Yeah. And I wanna do a shout out, you know, just cause you mentioned prison, there are opportunities for writers to be able to volunteer to work with prison inmates and I, I guess I'm going to re- elevate Rob Plath again because that's another one of the things that he does is this pen prison writing program. Um, and and I will also say that 
having close friends who've been in jail, people's words, poetry, letters, drawings, you know, being able to express themselves is a huge thing that for some people, once again, is life-saving. You know, you've just shared about somebody who killed himself while in, in prison. And I'm not saying that, that him being able to write poetry would have definitely prevented that. But I'm also gonna say that for a lot of people, those ways of being able to express oneself are things that do hugely help people believe that life is, is worth living, even with the hard stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, that's for sure. I, yeah, that way, you know, I was my least favorite nursing job, but boy, uh, and it's only because there's only so much of that I could do day in and day out. Uh -huh. I, mean, I mean, that is like when you were saying kind of knowing when you have to check your own head and say, I don't know if I'm ready to do this uh -huh. I did it for about two years and kind of came to that uh -huh. collusion. But uh, do you want me to keep reading or? Yeah. All righty. Uh, let's see. This is about one of my dogs. Uh, this was my dog I just lost over the holiday, but mm. it's really not about my dog, but it's called Stella because that was her name. That's the problem with this dog I have. She's terrified of fireworks. I say to the guys watching them explode over the ball field. Then I pull her leash and we run for home. It's just easier than admitting that eight years after the war, I still can't stand that sound. Yeah. Let's see. And then I'll get into some of my... Uh, so do you know John Yammers' book, Five Dogs? Yes. Oh, gosh, yes. And I, of course... Know, I, I try really hard not to miss a John Yammers' book when it comes out anymore. i got to be honest. He is one of those people that always hits for me, so... Yeah. And I just was thinking because, of course, Stella is his cover girl, <laughs> his Stella dog. <laughs> Absolutely. I think I'll try to, I think I'll read one more award thing and then I'll try to get into sort of what I'm doing now. Okay. Uh, I wrote this for my son a few years ago. It's called Dog Tags. My 13-year-old son dropped my dog tags on the table asking if he could have them. When I tell him they are issued and still a part of my uniform, he's unhappy at the realization that this means no. <laughs> 13 is a funny age. He's just becoming aware of what it meant while I was deployed. His class sent care packages to soldiers in the country I was in, and he's heard people thank me for my service. So he now thinks it makes me somebody other than the dad who left him for almost a year without an explanation. He's just old enough to understand I did something most dads will never do, but still too young for me to explain how much it didn't mean anything at all. Oh. Yeah, he's 16 now. We share a lot now. I will say that got better with him. <laughs> uh -huh. But so that's kind of the war thing. And now I, I, which I'm still doing, but I'm also still trying to do just other things that mean something else to me too. So let me read something from the new book. Uh, oh, here you go. <laughs> this one's called A Small Good Feeling for No Reason at All. I figure I'll do something so it doesn't seem like all I do is be miserable. <laughs> <laughs> So this one just goes, it's a snow day, the unexpected kiss from a stranger. It's a scratch off wind in your favorite song on the radio. Under blue skies, the color of the beaches of Mexico, you rub the lucky penny you carry in your shoe as you write the easy unforced poem in your head. The highway is all new blacktop and the speed limit is 120 miles an hour as you punch the gas pedal with your foot and reach out of this car window to catch luck with your free hand. All right. <laughs> so it's not always. <laughs> I, do, I do have moments <laughs> that's and that's what that's part of real life do you write about your wife and you oh yes yeah i do i do some in fact oh it's in the new one wait a minute i have to i don't know if i can find it but yes i am always trying to write i i write a lot of uh love poetry to my wife yeah um she's been through the worst of this and and yet sort of is always able to really sort of negotiate our life. She, she keeps my head together better than most anyone else. And, and, she, and we don't talk about it. It took me a long time to learn your, your wife shouldn't be your therapist. I mean, like, so there's a lot of things, but I, I do remember, and I know I wrote a poem about it once. There was just some moment when I was trying to explain to somebody or something I had written about how I just felt like I'm drowning and I've just got a hold of my wife and kids and I'm pulling them to the bottom of the ocean with me. Uh, I read it over my shoulder 
kissed me on the top of the head and just said, you always forget how good a swimmer I am. <laughs> awesome. And that is so true in so many things. You know, she's been so good at yeah. just making sure that uh, the things that need done get done. And, uh-huh. you know, I, I, I know a lot of vets that have ruined their lives that way. And I, and I was going down that direction, I think, um, for a while. She did get to the point where she had to really encourage me because yeah. uh, she definitely said, I'm, I'm not leaving you over this, but I'm not living with you like this. I don't know what yeah. you need to do, yeah. but you need to do something. Yes. And that helps. So yeah, there is some of that. Let me think. Is it okay uh, for you to say just her first name? Instead? Oh, no, I don't mind at all. No, her name okay. is Dana. That's, Dana? <laughs> yes. Okay. I probably have a hundred poems written that are just called Dana too. That's, how okay. I, that's kind of how I do it. But I think this might have, I'm trying to see. Uh, yeah, this one's sort of about her. This is called Sometimes. Sometimes love is the teeth of a thousand hounds. Sometimes yesterday is a needle you use to give yourself a jailhouse tattoo. Sometimes the sun swallows itself and walks backwards. Sometimes you would trade hours of silence for a hundred rounds of gunfire. Sometimes hope is a guitar you just can't tune. And sometimes the poem only makes sense if you have stood in the warmth of its fire. Uh, There's a little bit of that. She, she manages to, yeah, she manages to really negotiate uh, our thing pretty well. Uh-huh. I, I know the new book coming out and, and actually there is there is one I wrote in fact I forgot I it was my last little insistence in this book let me find it here it's really for my kids but it's always for my whole family so I did like I this was the one edition we made to the thing right at the end and this is just a poem I wrote called pale horse for my children on mornings when the world is a bleak skeleton on a pale horse and hope is the sound of the wind through its ribcage what I'm feeling like less than dust on the moon or grease in the fire, I remind myself that it was only ever really here at all because I've loved you. Uh, and that could be as easily for my wife as it could be for my kids. That's all of them. They are what keeps me uh, grounded. Uh-huh. No, But no, she, yeah, she's awesome. I could talk about her all day if you love me, so. <laughs> Lovely. So how many books of poetry do you have published already oh gosh i yes this what this one is the 15th the 16th is coming out wow there is another one somewhere in a few months that's already written and waiting to come out uh one of the problems is i really i i like as a person i like discipline so i write an awful lot like i said i really do write more than i probably know what to do with so i'm always shopping the next deal um uh-huh. And I will say to the people that want to write poetry, the thing I try to tell everybody is do it, get it out there. Somebody will like it. You know, uh-huh. the internet has connected the entire world. Somebody needs your, somebody needs your poem right now. Somebody yes. likes what you do. Yes. For all the writers I meet, they go, I'm just afraid to let people see it. I'm afraid people are like, I go, look, you will find your audience. If, if you're serious about it and you do it and you mean it, you'll find your audience and people will want to see it. Okay, so I'm going to ask you this question. How do people find you? Yeah, Facebook's probably the easiest thing. Googling my name will bring you into my writing, but I don't, uh, I think Wolf set me up with like a website that I was supposed to be able to do all that with in the very beginning and I was terrible at maintaining it. I, I couldn't even find it now. Um, so tell people how to spell your name so they can find you. <laughs> sure, my last name is Borson, B-O-R-C-Z-O-N. And uh, if you look that up, you'll you'll run into it. But no, I, I, my presence is probably really only on Facebook. I don't have an Instagram account. I don't, I don't Twitter. I don't do any of that stuff. Um, and I really—it's it's just your personal Facebook page. It's not even like yep. a specific writer's page. It's like nope. okay. Yeah, I'm. Uh, well, you know, I, I say to people all the time, the best thing that ever happened in my art was when I. Be- was becoming a nurse, becoming like solvent because I don't have to do anything for money. I mean, like I'm by no means right. So certainly would love to say that, but no, but I don't need my writing, my music, all the things I do creatively need to feed a part of my head and my world, but they don't need mm-hmm. to put food on my table. So uh-huh. I, I probably could work on that presence and probably help myself a lot more if I did it, but I, I don't need to. On the other hand, I, I make very few concessions to people either. I, I won't change my writing. That's there's a famous collection of of stories I run into. If you knew how many people read my stuff, and I get editors just wanting to rewrite the format of it, uh, I write in, I write in one and two word lines. So, so a poem from you is really long and skinny. Part uh-huh. of why I write on those long envelopes. I mean, but uh, 
and I've had many people say, I, I really like what you're saying. I just don't like the way you're doing this. And, and if we just change that, and I always go, oh, no, you're not changing a word. If, right. if you don't want it, someone else will publish it. So if you'll take a pass on it, I appreciate that. And, you know, I, I have allowed it only, the only time I've ever allowed it is there are some people that have worked with me many times. And when they say, hey, in the print issue, I don't know how I'm going to fit this on the page. They're, they're the ones I'll usually let make that choice of it. But if, okay. but I, I get to the point where when people, I, I love when I get the editor that wants to give me like a poetry writing lesson and I want to go, I've been at this for a while. None of this is not entirely deliberate. I mean, that's right. just kind of what so I do. Speak to that visual, because I'm interested in that, that your preference is to write very sh few words across each line. Is yeah, anything... Well, yeah, well, well, let's let's talk about first. First of all, about making it easy. When I first started writing, and I was trying to write about what it was like to be living with PTSD and the things I do, I I couldn't see it with meter, and I couldn't see it with rhyme. You know, like to me, it was it, I, I was like, no. So I had to find a way to deconstruct poetry into a way to say what I wanted to say. But I, I just there was no flowery piece to it. I mean, and, and don't get me wrong, I know that can be done. You know, Siegfried Sassoon writes the most incredible anti-war poetry I've ever read and his is all wrong I mean like you know if you go back that was done but I couldn't do that so the visual just sort of to me was like falling down a long deep well I mean and that's okay. that's often what it feels like to me when I'm when I'm living it I mean I it is just that thing that the sooner I get when I already think I'm getting near the top it's like it just gets a little farther away so so it started there but but the other part of it is I just I don't do and now once the first editor said it's it's kind of hard for me to get what you're trying to say from this format. I thought, good, then I guess I'm doing what I want. I didn't, I don't, I mean, I don't write about what I write about to make it easy for somebody. Mm -hmm. I mean, you mm -hmm. know, you have to engage yourself with it, mm -hmm. you know, if you want to know what it is in it. So I, so I think there, there is that part of it too. Also, I just was trying to just destroy it out of, out of whatever it had been before. I mean, again, mm -hmm. I'm a minimalist. I want to know. Do two, you know, can two words side by side help you create that image? If you, you know, can you can you do the work with it? And people okay. can. I mean, I think they can. So it still it keeps coming out. But I have those. But I do have those uh, places I will probably never crack in terms of uh, being able to publish there because they will always look at that and go, "Yeah, he doesn't know what he's doing." So that's okay. You don't need them. <laughs> you know, uh, the poet Ron Androla. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's from around here, but he's he's been around a long time he told me that in the very beginning he said and they reject you you just reject them right back and that is and that is kind of the way i do it so uh-huh uh-huh very it good suits my yeah it suits my recalcitrant so. all right well how about one more poem before we wrap up this episode let me see i'll go back just a little bit because i do have one i like uh okay. it's winter time in erie and Nothing I write about is what it says it's going to be about, but let me find my one about snow, <laughs> just because it's not specifically about snow, but we are getting uh, pounded right here, just right now. If you've been watching the news as they talking about it move across, across the country, it's hitting us just today. So let me just find where it is. Hey, see, I didn't mark any of these because, you know, that's what a person who was prepared would have done. <laughs> that's too boring. You don't need to do it that way. Yeah, no, I, but I know it's in here somewhere. This is the book it was in. Uh, if not, I could have read that one, but I'm already past it. <laughs> I'm sure sorry about that. Let me see. Here we go. No, I thought that was it. Ding, ding, ding. Or I'm going to change my mind and read whatever I ran on so I don't just waste your time with all of it. That's perfectly fine. I think it's kind of intriguing for the listeners going, I want more, I want more. It's like, buy the book. <laughs> Oh, here we go. Okay. So this is just called snow. Sometimes I want the snow to fall forever. Not the Christmas, let it snow, let it snow kind of snow, but the gonna bury everything kind of snow. The bury your dead kind of snow. The bury the burned out cars on 12th Street kind of snow. The bury the memories of this last year kind of snow. The bury the hatchet, bury the lead kind of snow. I want enough snow to hide every stone in Arlington National Cemetery. Enough snow so you have no choice but to stay at the bar you're in until the day after the day after tomorrow. Enough snow so the B-52 bombers can't fly over Afghanistan. Enough snow so all the armies go home. Enough snow that all the fires go out and all the polar bears get home to hunt and get fat again. 
enough snow that you need to lay in a pile of your loved ones to stay warm kind of snow, enough snow to close a city, enough snow to clear the streets so anyone who wants to can come out and dance. Beautiful. It's that kind of day here, so. Yes, it's been that kind of past four years. (laughs) (laughs) And more, sorry. This has been wonderful. The the some of the many facets of Matt Borson. Matt, anything you would like to say to our listeners before we end this episode? No, this was the, no, but thanks for having me. Today's my mother's 80th birthday, so this was kind of a neat way to spend some time until she's ready to let me come visit. Her. <laughs> <I called. laughs> will she listen to this? Uh, I I will. Yeah, I think she will. She she usually does. But it's funny. I wanted to come visit her early this morning, and she was like, "Do not come over too early. I am eighty. I will tell you." But I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> it's my birthday. I'm doing what I want, and I don't want to see you in the morning, Matt. <laughs> yep. <laughs> no, that's it. Thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> and you can say that to your mom as well. <laughs> My mom always said that on my birthday, I was supposed to send her flowers because it's kind of really her accomplishment. I, I, I'm totally about that. I think that's very true. <laughs> Listeners, I hope that you are totally enthralled with Matt Poisson and want to find him in all the places and seriously that you want to and do buy some of the books. Um, much to my dismay, the easy way to get his books is through Amazon. <laughs> you search Matt Borzon on Amazon, you're gonna find a whole slew of books um, from different publishers, different times at different tones and more to come. So thank you, Matt. Thank you listeners. And there will be more goodness coming with more guests in the future and lots of past episodes too. Thanks and so long.